Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Lead Pastor Eric Parks has part one of the series titled One Shot. Today's message is, what does it mean to be a Christian? My name is Eric Parks, and um, this is my home. And today I've been given the task of preaching, if I only had one message to ever preach to your people, to you people, what message would I give? And so that's the message I'm going to give. Now listen, I got like 20 minutes. And to preach one message, your life's message in 20 minutes, this in and of itself is a massive task, right? Like I felt the pressure all last night. I was trying to enjoy the avalanche playing last night against the Oilers. I'm a hockey fan. And um, I couldn't because I'm thinking about this morning. And so this is my one shot. 20 minutes to give you what I think is the most important message I can give you. So here's how I want to start it out. Um, one, I want to pray that the Lord will speak through me clearly and that like we all walk out of here and whatever it is that I say, he uses it even if it doesn't make sense, right? Um, that he'll do what only God can do. So let, will you join me in a prayer? Father, I pray that you'll use my words, your word, um, and um, will you do something absolutely profound in our lives this morning? Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, okay, so this is what I'm going to ask you. What does it mean to be a Christian? Seriously, like if, if you were in a classroom and you had to take a test right now, and they said, listen, here it is. Here's what you have to do. You have to tell us, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you say? How would you answer that question? And I thought a lot about, like, what does it mean? Like, what does this whole thing mean to be a Christian? Because I'm guessing that most of you in this room consider yourself to be a Christian. What what does it mean, though? And the reality is there are lots of words tied to Christian. If you go back in history, the word Christian first started being used about the time... Uh, the church of Antioch was formed around Acts chapter 13. And before that, if you were part of Jesus' movement, you were known as a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And so Christian, follower of Jesus, disciple, these all sort of mean the same thing. And we know why they called Christians followers of Jesus, because Matthew chapter 4, you see Jesus going out and he's gathering his disciples. In fact, one of the Instances I'm referencing is in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus saw two brothers. It was Simon and Andrew. And what did he tell them? He said, hey, come follow me. Come learn what I do. And then you go do those things. You're a follower of mine. But what's interesting is, is that if you ask the world the same question that I'm asking you this morning, what does it mean to be a Christian? You may be surprised as to how Christians are described. In fact, in 2018, Barna did a poll where they asked this question, what do you think it means to be a Christian? What, would, what words would you ascribe to the Christian community? These were secular people, people who didn't come to church. Now, when asking us about ourselves, we would use words like kind and generous and you know, loving. That's how we describe ourselves so often. What does it mean to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Unfortunately, when Barna asked people who are outside the church, how would you describe us? These are the words. 34% said narrow-minded. 
21% said misogynistic. 17% said racist. 20% said uptight, hateful, angry. Loving didn't even make the list. Now, I know first response is like, well, that's their problem. They just don't know me. (laughs) But maybe there's something to this. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And in my one-shot message, I'm going give to you, give you what I believe we are called to do, this church. Now, the reality is, is that I don't think the world's got it twisted. I think sometimes we Christians do. Like, this isn't one of those talks where we look at what the world says about us and we raise our fists in anger. No, no, this is a chance for us to do a little bit of heart evaluation because the reality is I wonder if sometimes we're no different than the way that John 1 describes Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to John 1. It won't come on the screen. I'm gonna read it quickly, but it really resonated with me because it says in John chapter 1 this. says that Jesus in verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And I thought, I wonder sometimes if us as Christians, we've missed the point. That's what this verse says is they missed the whole point. And it was interesting because as I started looking at Jesus and thinking about one shot, I thought, okay, you know, you can learn a lot about somebody in their last message or in their last days, their last week of their life. Like if you knew you not just had one shot, but if you had one week left to live, what would you do? And whatever it is you chose to do, it would say a lot about who you were. And so I thought, what if we looked at Jesus last week? What do you do? Well, it's interesting because if you look at the Gospels, Jesus has a a, a pretty um, fascinating journey to the cross. Now, we know Sunday was Palm Sunday, right? This is how we've talked about it in Christian circles. Those of you that grew up in church, you know it's the triumphal entry. And this is the, the point where Jesus rides in and he's bringing his message, right? This is who I am. His followers are going with him. I did a message on Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday. If you haven't listened to it, you can get a full context of what Palm Sunday was. I'm not going to regurgitate that. But long story short is there were a bunch of people that were waiting for Jesus to come and rescue them. They had heard about Jesus. They had been under Rome's foot for some time. And as Jesus rode into the city, they raved the palm trees, which was the sign of the zealot. They said, oh, he's finally going to come. He's finally going to put Rome in their place. He's coming to save us from Rome. He's about to drop the hammer. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus saw them waving the flag of the zealot, he wept. And he said, if today they only knew what would bring them peace. So on Sunday, he sees this group of people and it's like, they just don't get it. The adventures in missing the point. He's like, they just don't get it, and so he's sad. Then the Bible tells you, if you skip ahead to Monday, the next day in the last week of his life, you see Jesus' emotions change. 
Because he goes from being really, really sad to now he's ticked off that people don't get it, right? Because Monday's when he goes to the temple. And if you know the story in the temple, this is when he starts turning over tables, flipping out. What are you people doing? Why have you made this house a, a den of thieves? So Jesus is really sad that people didn't get it on Sunday. Now he's mad that they don't get it on Monday. He's just furious. How do you not understand what I came to do? And then Tuesday rolls along, and I don't know if you've ever wondered, why is it that the Bible points out that he's walking along and he sees a fig tree, and the fig tree, it's not even in season. He doesn't like that it's not bearing fruit, and he curses it. You're like, gee whiz, Jesus, you were angry that day. But, but it's the same journey right now. He was sad on Sunday, he was angry on Monday, and he's frustrated on Tuesday. Why is it that nothing is working the way it's supposed to work? And then on Wednesday, he's silent. Doesn't say a word. And you can almost see Jesus' humanness, because remember, Jesus was fully man and fully God. You can see this humanness in him, this thing like, these followers of mine, they weren't known as Christians yet, but these disciples, I don't know if they understand what this whole thing is about. And so on Thursday, the Passover comes. And Jesus goes into that upper room, experiencing all these emotions throughout the week. The Bible tells us that he washes his disciples' feet and and then you can see him begin to try to describe in the most simplest of terms, what does it mean to be a follower of mine? And he breaks it all down. You see it in most of the Gospels. John chapter 13, it says, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, listen, everyone will know that you're my disciples. He doesn't say anything about how much information you know or how right you are on the issues. He doesn't tell you what party to belong to, what your politics should be. He doesn't even lay out a moral code. It's the Ten Commandments. It's none of it. He says, let me break it down simply one more time because I'm about to leave. I got to make sure you understand what it means. He says, this is what it means. That you love each other in ways you are about to see me love you. That at the end of the day, it's about love. Love. You see the Apostle Paul lay this out in Colossians 3, and he does it in the negative where he says, listen, now followers, what does it mean? What does it mean? He, he, he starts by saying, look, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking in you. Like, don't let these things come out. And he says, don't, 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 don't be sexually immoral or have impurity or lust or evil desires. He says, then don't be greedy. And then listen how he ends it. He says, but now get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior. The Apostle Paul, the denunciation of meanness is on the same level as greed and sexual immorality. 
He puts it in the negative, and then he follows that by almost highlighting it in 1 Corinthians, the positive of what we're supposed to be. He says, put to death that mean nature that's inside of you. He says, instead, in 1 Corinthians, be patient and be kind. Don't be jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Don't demand your own way. Don't be irritable. Don't keep records of wrong. Don't rejoice at injustice. Don't rejoice at injustice. Rejoice every time the truth wins out. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. Always be hopeful. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is the Apostle Paul putting into bullet point form what Jesus was saying on Thursday. It's just about love. And all the Apostle Paul was doing was describing our rabbi, this person we claim to follow, right? Because we see it. Jesus was kind in Matthew chapter 8 when he heals the leper. He was never rude. The woman at the well, he could have been the Samaritan woman. He didn't keep a record of wrong in John chapter 21 when Peter, his closest, right, betrays him. He always protected. In John chapter 8, the woman in adultery. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us understand what it means to be a Christian. And I know, I know, I know, the moment I start talking about love, it's like, oh boy, here we go. Eric, you're a snowflake. You're using snowflake language. It's all about love and feely and touchy. And some of you, it's like you wouldn't know a feeling if it hit you in the face. And I know, I know. It's like, I don't know about this, but listen, listen. I'm telling you, kind of love that Jesus displayed there. It is not the things of snowflakes. Snowflakes don't get nailed to crosses. I know we think, oh, you're, this is just like, Soft and gushy, and I don't, I don't know, man. That just sounds so easy. But the truth is, in our world, I just think that if we're honest with ourselves, I think we know it's much easier to be rude. It's much easier to be angry. It's much easier to keep wrong. <laughs> Come on. If you've been married for any length of time, you know. You know. Because the last fight you had, you reminded your spouse of something they did a couple weeks ago couple months ago, a couple years ago. It's easy to keep wrong, right? A record of those things. It's easy. It's easy to be angry when someone pulls out in front of you like, learn to drive. God bless you, right? <laughs> easy to be frustrated at the grocery store. They don't get something right. Easy to be frustrated when your car repairs don't work the way you want them to work, right, Shaman? Wherever he huh? Easy to be frustrated. It's easier. It's so much more difficult to do as Jesus asks us to do. And, and I'm more convinced of this the older I get. And look, I'm way closer to 50 than I am to 40. What that means is as I get older and I begin to deal with my mortality and the reality that I won't always be on this earth and I look around at what is on this earth and what I'll leave to my grandchildren it burns more deeply in me that what we need is communities that are absolutely just filled with love. We need them. 
Like this last four weeks have been the most hopeless four weeks I can remember. And then I start to remember and go, wait, it really hasn't been just four weeks, has it, Eric? It's like this thing has been going on and on and on for some time. Sometimes I wonder if what us human beings are really, really good at is killing each other and oppressing one another. Like, that's it. Because that's what it feels like some days. We need communities that absolutely are grounded in who Jesus called us to be. And he didn't call us to be right. He called us to be loving. Now, I ran across this. A friend sent it to me. I thought it was so profound. It was some words that describe who Jesus is. It was a podcast by an author and a former pastor. His name was Rob Bell. His name is Rob Bell. He's no longer pastoring, but um, he, he said some things that really resonated with me about who Jesus was to him. And as I began to read through it, I went, oh, yeah, me too. When I think about who Jesus is and this rabbi that I follow, he said it this way. He said, Jesus is the Jesus that I found. He is this way of life. He is this invitation. He is this song you want to hear more of. He is this call beyond tribes to a space where we really do embrace everyone. He is this God of love and healing, inclusion and embrace. He is a raging critique. He is fierce and feisty and ferocious. But he's always against the oppressors. He's willing to go to his death, insisting there was a better way to live in this world. Jesus is this man who loves me so much that my experience with him, and this is me speaking, is he's whispered in my ear more times than I know, Eric, you can make it. You're going to be all right. He's met me in my shadows. He knows me in my insecurities. He's loved me in my fears. And all the messes that I've made, he doesn't necessarily let me off the hook. But he always says, I'm going to be with you and all that. That's where Jesus has met me. Insisting that I don't have to be tossed to and fro. Insisting that I don't have to be enslaved by my anxiety. Insisting that I don't have to be owned by my worry. This is Jesus and the power of his love. Believing that I don't have to live with worry. That I can abide in him. Jesus isn't guilt. He isn't shame. He invites us into a flow, right? This is Jesus. He's an anchor. He's a center. He's life. He's bread of life. He's breath. The air we breathe. He is both familiar and jolting. He is the nudge to leave home and create home for others. He is a compass and a guide. He has a profound insight into what might be possible in my life. This is the Jesus that I know. 
makes me believe that through his love, anyone can be generous and anybody could be less worried and anyone could be fearless and everyone could be welcome. We say this a lot around here and I hope we'll keep saying it. The Jesus I know was one of the best partiers in the world. I mean, check this dude out. It's Thursday night and where is he at? At a table with his homies having a meal. This dude is always at a party at a table and his table isn't small. He would just say, oh, you want to know G? Oh, you want to know me? Come pull up. You want, oh yeah, come pull up. Oh, you? Oh, Samaria? Oh yeah, sure, come pull up. No, didn't have to pre-qualify. There were religious people and tax collectors. There were people from all walks of life. Jesus said, come on, come on, come on. So when we say like long tables, low walls, you, you have to understand it's because this is what I believe it means to be a Christian. Where we say, oh, you want to know about Jesus? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we want a table for all people. Black and brown and white and young and old and rich and poor and gay and straight. We say, do you want to know Jesus? Come to us. Because this is what Jesus did and he, he compels us to love this way. He demands that we love this way. He said, if you want to know what it means to follow me, we love this way. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, this is who we are. We have been chosen. You as followers, you have been chosen by God for this new life of love. This is what you signed up for when you said, I'm in. He said, now you've been chosen for this new life of love. Dress in the wardrobe that God picked out. He's saying, listen, let me tell you the clothes to wear in this world. Let me tell you how to show up in the spaces we get into. Compassion and kindness and humility and quiet strength and discipline. Be even-tempered. My wife's going to remind me of that. Being even-tempered, Eric. Be even-tempered. Content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the master forgave you. Say that again. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, regardless of what else you put on, you have to wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it, love. To love like Jesus is our call. My one-shot message sounds so simple, I know. One of the greatest challenges we face as people, as humans, is where we respond to this world the way the world is responding to itself. Or where we create spaces of courage that are absolutely grounded and forged in the love, not that we've made up. Look, it's not me. It's not me saying this. Listen, on most days, I want to fight like everybody else, and I want to go get mine like everybody else. But on January 1st, 1995, I signed up to follow this 
man. And when I signed up to follow him, he said, now, to be a follower of mine, this is what it will mean, young man. Will you love like me? Will you be gracious like me? Will you serve the marginalized like me? Will you care for the sick and the needy and the underprivileged and the widows and the orphans and the poor and the abused and the vulnerable? Will you do this for me? And the invitation is the same for us. You say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it doesn't mean that you know the Bible from front to back, although reading the Bible is a wonderful thing. It doesn't mean that your head is filled with a bunch of knowledge, although knowledge is really wonderful. It doesn't mean that you have all the right answers. Answers are good. It doesn't mean that you even come to church every Sunday, although I would encourage that. It means that you take seriously the words of Jesus on his last week when he says, remember what I did First Corinthians 13, 13 says this, there will be three things that last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, the greatest of these, it is love. I'm asking you for City Church not to join me in a journey of love when we said anyone and everyone and put it on that wall. This isn't something we made up. It's just a fancy way of saying what Jesus has said from the jump. How they'll know you is how well you love. Will you bow your heads with me? I think there are moments in all of our lives when we have to recommit to the path to recommit to what it means to be a follower. And what is so wonderful about following Jesus is that it is profoundly simple and absolutely profoundly difficult at the exact same time. And my invitation, church, is quite simple, is that in the next few minutes, as I pray, no hands raised, no standing up, no coming forward, but I, invi I invite you to re-examine what it means to be a Christian for you and to embrace this calling in every space and every place that you walk into, not in Forest City Church name or Eric Park's name, the Evangelical Church name, the denomination name, no, 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 but in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will help settle in us this reality, that what it means to be a follower of yours is that we love and we love well, that we are reminded continually of what that love looked like as you hung on the cross, and that as we leave this space into a broken world, we need vessels of that love to have the courage to take that love and put it on full display. Give us this courage. Give us what we need this day to be that presence in this world. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. I love being your pastor. And if I don't get to preach one more message ever again, that is my one shot. So, I love you all. Um, I hope you have a wonderful week. Next week, we'll continue in this one-shot series. Invite somebody out. Stop and grab a donut, because if you don't, you're going to end up giving me a heart attack, because I'm going to eat them all. I love you guys. We'll see you soon. See you next week. You've been listening to Eric Parks with a message, What Does It Mean to Be a Christian?, which is part one of the One Shot series. Thanks for listening.